Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the National Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W.com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. From the National, Friday 16th of September 2022. From the Politics Section. Bahamas PM Philip Davis signals referendum to remove King Charles as head of the state by Abby Garten Crosby. The Prime Minister of the Bahamas has said that he will hold a referendum for the country to become a republic and remove King Charles as head of state. Philip Davis, who has been PM since 2021, said the decision of the country's involvement with the British monarchy was a matter for the Bahamian public to decide upon. It comes after the Royal Jubilee Tour of the Caribbean, led by the couples Prince William and Princess Kate and Prince Edward and Sophie, Countess of Wessex. The trip in March was met with furious protests and calls for slavery repatriation, speaking after he signed a book of condolences in the Bohemian Senate following the death of Queen Elizabeth David confirmed a public vote was on the table. He told reporters, For me it's always is, but again it is our people who will have to decide. The only challenge of us moving to a republic is that I can't as much as I would wish to do. I cannot do it without your consent, he continued. I will have to have a referendum and the Bahamian people will have to say to me yes. The Bahamas National Repatriation Committee, BNRC, slammed the extravagant eight-day excursion of the royals across Belize, Jamaica and the Bahamas earlier this year. They said, We recognise that the people of the Bahamas have been left holding the bag for much of the cost of this extravagant trip. Why are we footing the bill for the benefit of a regime whose rise to greatness was fueled by the extinction, enslavement, colonization and degradation of the people of this land. Why are we being made to pay again? Once William and Kate have passed over the newly paved roads driven by the freshly painted walls and waved to the school children who have been pulled out of their classes to stand and watch them go by, what will the Bahamian people be left with? The Bahamas gained its political independence from Britain in July 1973 but the debate around whether or not the country should ditch the monarchy has gathered pace in the wake of the Queen's death. J. Mickey Bow, Vice Chair of the House of Rastafari in the Bahamas, told The Independent, We in the Bahamas have seen very few examples of how the monarchy benefits our country in any aspect. We don't see how the celebration of our oppressors helps us any. The royal family should apologise for slavery and bring repatriation to all of the Commonwealth countries. King Charles III will meet more of these demands on his desk in the near future. And this article was by Abby Garton Crosby. From the National 16th of September 2022 
From the news section, St Andrews University is top in Scotland according to the Times ranking by Laura Webster. The University of St Andrews has taken the number one spot in Scotland in a national league table. It was placed second in the UK-wide version of the table, slipping from first place last year as Oxford took back the position, with Cambridge still in third. The results will be published in a 96-page 2023 edition of The Times and the Sunday Times Good University Guide on Sunday. In the Scottish version of the league table, the University of Edinburgh came second, the Institute was the 10th UK-wide, while third position went to the University of Glasgow, ranked 14th in Britain. Results show 87% of students at St Andrews go into high-skilled jobs or study. The established also beat all other universities in Scotland in the National Student Survey for Teaching Quality, 84%, and Student Experience, 80.5%. The Queen's granddaughter, Lady Louise Windsor, is to attend St Andrews to study English. Lady Louise, the 18-year-old daughter of the Earl and Countess of Wessex, starts her degree course this year. The guide provides rankings for the UK universities using data published in the last two months and an overview of the higher education in Britain. It includes profiles on 135 universities. Zoe Thomas, principal author of the guide, said, St Andrews is the best performing university in Scotland and is second top across the UK, keeping Cambridge in third place. It scores exceptionally well in student satisfaction and graduate employment and has earned the well-deserved accolade of Scottish University of the Year. In fourth and fifth place in Scotland came to the University of Strathclyde and University of Aberdeen, respectively. In the UK-wide table, the London School of Economics and Political Science was in fourth place and Imperial College London was placed fifth. And that article was by Laura Webster. This article is from The National, date 16th September 2022, from the Culture section. BBC and other media cutting out Republican views after Queen's death, proclaimers say. By Craig Meehan. When Charlie Reid heard about the Queen's death, he was in a cafe in his hometown of Edinburgh. The Proclaimers singer had gone to the pub later on in the evening, and while the news was on in the background, the TV was on silent. The reaction, Reid said, was fairly muted. You wouldn't have believed anything had happened, he tells the National. The idea from so much of the media in the last week, speaking as if everybody felt the same way, I think that's no longer true. The feeling of millions of Republicans, Reid argues, has been shut out of much of the news coverage and he doesn't feel his views are represented. Polling shows the UK used to hold more importance for the royal family and Reid remembers that all too well. The Scottish musician, speaking just ahead of the release of the Proclaimer's 12th album, Dentures Out, recalls speaking to his mother after the Queen's father, George, died and how upset people were. They were much more deferential in those days, he adds. But if you believe the media now, the whole country is in deep mourning, 
And that's really not what I see. I think I see a country that's in trouble, certainly. While it may be a very important moment for the UK, the 60-year-old suggests it's not for the reasons monarchists think. He continues, There was an article by Peter Hitchens in the paper the other day that compared the passing of Queen Elizabeth to the passing of Churchill. And as the last bells tolled at Winston Churchill's funeral, somehow people understood the British Empire was over. His comparison was that as the last bells toll with Queen Elizabeth's funeral, maybe some people start thinking of the Union itself, that Britain itself is over, and I think he may be on to something. The 500 miles I'm going to be star has been unhappy with much of the media coverage since the Queen's passing. It has, he argues, only represented one voice while claiming to speak on behalf of the entire Union. The way they've acted, you'd think the story was that it's just about people's grief and people respecting her. But the real story is that in 2022, an unelected head of state has died, he says. Her son, similarly unelected, has taken over and the media has encouraged no debate on that. They're unquestioning. The way they report that everyone in Britain feels the same way, they don't. This is just simply untrue. On the proclamation of King Charles in Oxford, I think one guy was lifted for shouting, who elected him? And I thought, that guy spoke for me. And he speaks for loads of other people, not just in Scotland, but right around the UK. Reid said there were millions of people across the Union, including a high percentage, perhaps a majority in Scotland, who are not having their voices heard. Loads of people are like me. They had personal respect for the woman, but they do not support the monarchy. They are showing a respect for her and her son, but the idea that they agree with an unelected head of state in 2022 is unbelievable. And that coming a fortnight after the most dishonest Prime Minister in my lifetime was forced from power and a few thousand people elected a new Prime Minister and no election was held for the British people to have their say. The words British and democracy ring hollow at the moment. With the Tory election and accession of Prince Charles, it starts to look very hollow to me. Bowling earlier this year found fewer than half of all Scots, 45%, supported the monarchy under Queen Elizabeth. There are questions over whether this level of support will continue under King Charles III. Before the new sovereign took over from his mother, only a third of people in the UK thought he'd make a good king. After the Queen's death, though, that jumped to nearly two-thirds. Reid says there's no doubt the Queen was a huge international figure and that her death is a massive change for Britain. But now the question should be, why do we have an unelected head of state? He says that while he is personally anti-monarchy, the issue of whether an independent Scotland should retain the royal family should be put to the Scottish people, similar to membership of the EU. The issue should not be assumed that that's what people that people want an unelected head of state, because I think 
you would get a majority for a republic. The Proclaimers' new album, Dentures Out, is largely about the decline in Britain and the desire for nostalgia during troubled times. Scotland, Reid says, isn't immune to this decline as part of the UK. I think there's been a different dynamic here with the parliaments since 1999. But I think you can't be part of something and then not be part of this decline. Scotland's been part of the British decline. There's no doubt about that. The hope that I see is among the people who want a different kind of country, a small, independent European state, who want to take a position in the world and act for the benefit of the citizens of the country, not in a feeble attempt to project global power. On Indian F2, Reid said there was next to no chance the British state will have a referendum soon because they know now they could lose. He's not convinced of the SNP's legal battle against the UK overholding a referendum as the way forward either, saying the party had painted themselves into a corner on their independence strategy. Westminster's refusal of another referendum, though, is something Reid says should prompt people to question how democratic the British state is. With the album, the musician said he wasn't having a go at Britain. I'm not anti-British. I'm mainly speaking about what I see happening around me. There's a general decline in the West. It's hitting Europe very hard. I think it's going to be a very difficult couple of years. Maybe the most difficult in my lifetime. But the hope lies in a modern, independent Scotland where we would redraw the priorities, the people's priorities, and equality and fairness would be at the heart of it. And the people who rule over us would be elected rather than appointed. That article was by Craig Meehan. This article is from The National, date 19th September 2022, from the News section. Homeless Project Scotland run emergency soup kitchen due to closure of food banks. By Gregor Young. A homeless charity has said it is disappointed and shocked in the extreme that some food banks have closed their doors due to the Queen's funeral. Homeless Project Scotland will operate an emergency soup kitchen in Glasgow on Monday evening to provide support to those who need it. It follows the announcement that some food banks would be closing on the day of the funeral, with more than a third of food bank operators in Scotland deciding to close their doors. A spokesperson for the charity said, We appreciate that tomorrow will be an emotional day for our country. However, we also must recognise that tomorrow will bring challenges for those who are vulnerable and homeless in being able to source and access warm and nutritious food. It is disappointing and we are shocked to the extreme to hear that throughout Scotland, homeless charities and other key providers are closing their doors at this time. It must be recognised, however, that homelessness does not stop. And as such, we must uphold our principles at this difficult time and ensure that nobody goes to bed with an empty stomach. This is going to be particularly felt in Glasgow, given that the city's hotels used for accommodating the homeless will only be able to provide breakfast, consisting of a cereal bar, 
due to the removal of evening meals from all hotel-based accommodation since May this year. This service will not affect our normal soup kitchen operations on Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday. Homeless Project Scotland is calling for assistance from food suppliers and businesses with emergency kitchen opening at 8 o'clock on Monday evening on Argyle Street. That article was by Gregor Young. This article is from The National, date 19th September 2022, from the Politics section. Scottish Tories in more turmoil as Douglas Ross's key aides quit party jobs. By Hamish Morrison. Changes are afoot in the Scottish Conservative Party as a number of key players in Douglas Ross's top team step down. Some have only been in post for just over a year and the shake-up of some of the Scottish party leaders' key staff members come after upset earlier in the month caused by Oliver Mundell stepping down from the opposition front bench and Dean Lockhart abruptly quitting politics altogether. Kieran Andrews, the Times' Scottish political editor, reports that John Novakovic will leave as Ross's head of staff at the end of October, while communications director David Bateman and head of digital Harley Lothian will step down following the UK party conference expected early next month. According to a story in the Edinburgh Reporter from September last year, all three were only appointed to their roles just over a year ago. Novakovic joined the Scottish Tories last year after beginning his career as an Australian political advisor before moving into work with charities and groups working in conflict zones like Afghanistan and Syria. According to his LinkedIn profile, he remains a board member of Scotland's International Development Alliance. It comes amid a period of turmoil for Ross's party, which was rocked earlier in the month with a double whammy of resignation announcements in just one day. Mundell, the party's former education spokesperson, said he had quit that role to better focus on his young family. Lockhart, an MSP from 2016, and the former chair of Holyrood's Net Zero Committee, has quit Parliament entirely to take on a new and undisclosed role with a firm he said was focused on helping society reach net zero targets. Bateman and Lothian are planning on starting a new digital communications company. Bateman said, It's been a pleasure working for the Scottish Conservatives and I wish the party every success in the future. The Scottish Conservatives were approached for comment. That article was by Hamish Morrison. This article is from The National, date 19th September 2022, from the News section. Tory Council criticised for lighting up Wallace Tower in Union flag colours for Queen, by Steph Brown. Council chiefs have been criticised for lighting up the Wallace Tower in Ayr in honour of Queen Elizabeth. South Ayrshire Council, which is headed up by a minority Tory administration, 
lit up the 19th century landmark in red, white and blue on Sunday and said it would remain illuminated in the colours of the Union flag on Monday during the late Queen's funeral. But Republicans have slammed the decision, given William Wallace's key role in the battle for Scottish independence at the end of the 13th century. Ex-SNP policy advisor Tim Rideout said on Twitter it was an insult to his memory and corrected the council when it described the late monarch as Queen Elizabeth II. He said, firstly, Queen Elizabeth I of Scots. Secondly, a complete insult to the memory of Sir William Wallace. Another Twitter user wrote, if being hanged, drawn and quartered by a monarch wasn't sufficient, now William Wallace posthumously bows to celebrate the life of a monarch who represents Scotland's shackling. Ewan Hunter, meanwhile, described the move as a deliberately political act. He said, a deliberately political act designed to upset and show complete disrespect. Yet they would be the first to demand respect. They not only disrespect the memory of William Wallace whilst pouring scorn on all Scots, they also disrespect the moment of HM Queen Elizabeth's passing. The Wallace Tower, created by Robert Snodgrass Sr, is one of two prominent Wallace memorials in Scotland alongside the Wallace Monument in Stirling. Queen Elizabeth's funeral will take place at Westminster Abbey from 11am on Monday. That article was by Steph Brown. This article is from The National, date 19th September 2022, from the News section. Ukraine accuses Russia of nuclear terrorism after missile strike. By Adam Robertson. A Russian missile strike has hit a facility close to a nuclear power plant in southern Ukraine. In what has been described as an act of nuclear terrorism, the country's atomic energy operator said. Energo Atom, which operates Ukraine's nuclear power plants, said the strike early on Monday hit an industrial complex that includes the Pivdinukrinsk nuclear power plant in the Myakolyav region. Energo Atom said the missile struck just 300 metres from the plant, causing an explosion which broke more than 100 windows in the complex. The attack also resulted in a nearby hydropower plant shutting down temporarily, though it did not affect the reactors of the nuclear plant Energo Atom has confirmed. The Pivdinukransk plant, also known as the South Ukraine nuclear power plant, sits along the southern Bug River and is about 190 miles south of the capital, Kyiv. It is Ukraine's second largest nuclear power plant with three reactors. The Saparishia nuclear power plant, the largest in Europe, has been occupied by Russian forces since the early days of the invasion and has repeatedly come under fire, which has cut off its transmission lines and eventually forced operators to shut it down to prevent a radiation disaster. 
Russia and Ukraine have traded blame for the shelling. That article was by Adam Robertson. From the National, Tuesday the 20th of September 2022, from the news section, F expletive deleted the King graffiti appears on Rangers pub in Glasgow by Rebecca Newlands and read to you today by Ian. Anti-monarchy graffiti has appeared on a Rangers pub in Glasgow. Staff at the London Tavern on Copland Road, a stone's throw from Ibrox Stadium, shared images which appear to show the pub being tagged with two messages. One reads, £8 million funeral while our country starves, while another says, F asterisk asterisk asterisk, the king. A wall in Broomland Road, about half a mile from the pub, also appears to have been targeted with the phrases Lizzie's dead and Lizzie in a box emblazoned across the brickwork. The team at the bar commented that they were sad to admit the discoveries at their venue. They wrote, The Lounding Tavern, Ibrox Stadium, has a history of helping the local community without prejudice. We find it really sad that there are uneducated people walking our streets that would be involved in this unwarranted vandalism against our business. They also shared a message of thanks to their loyal customers and supporters, adding, Despite this, we will continue to support local good causes. Let's hope they've been daft enough not to wear masks. Thank you to everyone who continues to support us. They also added that the graffiti would be cleaned by the council. A Glasgow City Council spokesperson said, This is plainly offensive graffiti and it will be removed as soon as possible. And that article was by Rebecca Newlands. From the National, Tuesday the 20th of September 2022, from the politics section, Liz Truss admits not her, all her policies will be popular. By Laura Webster, News and Features Editor. Liz Truss conceded not all her policies will be popular as she prepares to lift the cap on bankers' bonuses while millions feel the squeeze of the cost of living crisis. Instead, the Prime Minister defended measures to swell the size of the pie as she struck out those with vested interests who will oppose her policies aimed at boosting economic growth. She pledged the lower taxes Chancellor Kwasi Kwartang is set to announce in his mini-budget on Friday will lead to economic growth. There is no doubt in my mind about that. Critics have taken issue with the timing of the likely lifting of the banker's cap introduced by European Union legislation in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. It limits annual payouts to twice a banker's salary. With the policy all but confirmed, Trust pointed to Quartang's upcoming announcement when asked about the proposal as she flew to New York for a UN summit. What is important is what makes Britain more competitive, she told reporters. Everything we do will be focused on delivering for people because, ultimately, what I want to see is more jobs, higher wages and more opportunities. But she was pressed on whether her government is on the right side as she refuses to impose a windfall tax on energy giants to fund measures to prevent energy bills soaring further. We are on the side of delivering a higher wage economy. That's what we need to do, she said. Not every measure will be popular and there are always vested interests, people who oppose measures that increase economic growth. But what is important to me, what is important to the Chancellor, is that people have more opportunities, there is more investment, there are jobs with higher wages, and we are prepared to make that argument. This is about growing the size of the pie.
Truss also defended the tax cuts coming in Friday's fiscal event, which are expected to include a reverse of the national insurance hike and cancellation of the planned rise in corporation tax. Lower taxes lead to economic growth. There is no doubt in my mind about that, she said. Now, there are of course other measures that we have to take to spur economic growth as well. During the campaign, I talked about moving faster and getting growth projects going, mobile broadband fixing, the arteries of the economy. We need to do that too. But having the highest taxes in 70 years and putting up corporation tax at a time when we're trying to attract investment to this country isn't going to deliver growth. We need to be competitive. And that article was by Laura Webster. From the National, Tuesday the 20th of September 2022, from the news section, Liz Truss's US trade deal talks admission proves Brexit is an unmitigated disaster, CSMP, by Abby Garton Crosby. Liz Truss's admission that negotiations for a post-Brexit free, deal, free trade deal with the US will not resume for years is a humiliating U-turn after years of hyped-up rhetoric, the SNP have said. The Prime Minister, who served as Trade Secretary between 2019 and 2021, said that her priorities will now be striking agreements with India and the Gulf states, as well as pacts with other nations, including Australia and Japan. She conceded that talks with the US were unlikely to start in the medium term, as she travelled to New York on her first foreign trip since taking over Downing Street from Boris Johnson. A trade deal with the US, Britain's biggest trading partner, was touted as one of the major potential benefits of leaving the EU and the single market by Brexiteers. The SNP said the revelation was another example of Brexit being an unmitigated disaster, which is hammering businesses and trade across the UK. While travelling to the US, Truss admitted to reporters that there aren't currently any negotiations taking place with the US and I don't have any expectation that those are going to start in the short to medium term. Drew Hendry, the SNP's international trade spokesperson, said Far from delivering on the promise of a Brexit bonanza, the Tories are watching their pledges pile up in a Brexit bin, with Liz Truss admitting that the UK has abandoned hopes of a UK-US trade deal in the near future. Despite all the hyped-up post-Brexit rhetoric by the Tories, including Liz Truss and Boris Johnson, that a UK-US trade deal will be signed, sealed and delivered imminently, the Tory government has been forced into a humiliating climb-down. The admission comes just days after devastating statistics from the HMRC revealed that the Brexit blow to the businesses, with the number of UK firms exporting goods to the EU fell by 33% to 18,357 in 2021, from 27,321 in 2020. Brexit has been nothing short of an unmitigated disaster, wreaking havoc upon our economy, hammering businesses and trade, and ripping away communities. It's beyond any doubt that the only way to escape the harmful effects of Westminster control and the longer-term damage of the Brexit is to become an independent country with the full powers to create a fairer, more prosperous society and rejoin the EU. What have Joe Biden and his allies done about a trade deal? US President Joe Biden has stalled on trade negotiations and, vocally proud of his Irish heritage, has raised concerns about the impact of Brexit and the Northern Ireland Protocol on the peace process. Truss, in her previous role as Foreign Secretary, has threatened to rip up the post-Brexit trading arrangements and the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill 
is currently making its way through the House of Commons. Ahead of the bill being introduced, US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had warned that the legislation could endanger prospects for a free trade agreement between the two countries. While the EU has lodged fresh legal action against the UK for failing to comply with the rules set out in the protocol, Biden has warned that the row must not threaten peace within the region and has been reluctant to pursue a trade deal with the UK government as a result. At the White House last year, Johnson's hopes of an early trade agreement were dashed after Biden made it clear, publicly, that it was not in the cards. Truss said her priority going forward was to join the Trans-Pacific Trading Partnership of 11 countries, which includes Canada, Australia and Singapore. It comes after figures from HMRC showed the number of UK businesses exporting goods to the EU. And that article was by Abby Garton Crosby. From the National, Tuesday the 20th of September 2022, from the news section, Scotland's A&E department struggled to hit targets in worst week on record, by Jane McLeod. The percentage of people seen at Scotland's emergency departments within the target time has hit a new low, figures have revealed. According to Public Health Scotland, 63.5% of attendances at a in Scotland in the week up, up to September 11 were seen within four hours. The Scottish Government's target aims to ensure 95% of people are seen and subsequently admitted or discharged within four hours. The figure dropped from 67.7% the previous week and was worse than the previous low of 64.8%. Of the 27,097 attendances during that week, a record number of people waited more than four hours at 9,895. Meanwhile, the number of people waiting more than eight hours was 3,367, a new high, while 1,257 people waited longer than 12 hours. Earlier this month, Health Secretary Hamza Yousaf argued that the pandemic was largely responsible for the challenges in the NHS. The pandemic has presented the NHS with the greatest challenge of its 74-year existence, he said of waiting time figures. Despite this, Scotland continues to have the best-performing A&Es in the UK, outperforming those England, Wales and Northern Ireland for seven years. Occupancy and staffing pressures remain high across emergency departments and continue to have an impact on the delivery of services. And that article was written by Jane McLeod. From the National... Tuesday the 20th of September 2022, from the news section, Scottish policy hailed as under-22s make more than 21 million free bus journeys, by Abby Garton Crosby, multimedia political reporter. More than 21 million bus journeys have been made by under-22s in Scotland since free travel was introduced, the Scottish Government has revealed. The Young Persons Under-22 Free Bus Travel Scheme began on January the 31st and gives all those aged 5 to 21 the ability to travel on public transport free of charge. Following the success of the policy, the Scottish Government has launched a new marketing campaign to encourage more eligible children and young people to use the scheme. More than half of those eligible already benefit from the scheme, according to the Scottish Government. But the new campaign will use TV, digital radio and outdoor channels to encourage more people to use a free pass for free bus travel. Opposition politicians have claimed that the campaign shows a botched rollout of the scheme, which they suggest should have been simplified. 
Transport Minister Jenny Gilruth said, As outlined in the programme for government, I'm pleased we are continuing to promote free bus travel for under-22s. With over 21 million free bus journeys made by the under-22s across Scotland, this landmark policy is already helping young people and families with children cut costs for everyday and leisure travel, while at the same time protecting our climate. With the majority of eligible young people now having access to free bus travel all across Scotland, for local journeys and further afield, now is the time to begin a new campaign aimed at those who may not have considered using the bus before. Free bus travel helps with the transport affordability. It helps our young people access education and leisure destinations. All while helping us meet our net zero targets by encouraging a shift away from cars. Scottish Labour MSP Monica Lennon said that the awareness campaign should not have been necessary and the scheme kept as simple as possible. She added, It's unfortunate that the botched rollout delayed thousands of young Scots from getting their free bus passes. Several months after the policy launch, SNP and Green Ministers need to explain why a £400,000 marketing campaign is needed now and demonstrate that this is value for money. In reality, a free bus pass is only useful if local bus services are readily available when people need them. As well as expanding access to free bus travel, the Scottish Government must address the serious decline in bus services that has occurred under its watch. Meanwhile, Scottish Green's MSP Mark Ruskell said, In this first seven months, we've already seen hundreds of thousands of young people in Scotland benefiting from this transformational policy, agreed by Green MSPs and the Scottish Government back in 2020. It's a vital part of our transport future, building up public transport habits at an early stage, ultimately leading to fewer vehicles on the road. The original plans for a public information campaign ahead of launch in January were postponed because of the upsurge in COVID-19 cases at that time. But, but it is now even more important, in the midst of a cost crisis, that every young person knows about their right to free bus travel. A National Entitlement Card, NEC, or Young Scott NEC is required to travel free of charge. Kirsten Urquhart, Chief Executive of Young Scott, said, Nationwide bus travel for under 22 year olds not only supports young people to make travel choices that benefit them and their pockets, even more pertinent in the emerging cost crisis, but it provides a way for them to experience new places, access a wider range of opportunities, and have fun. Hearing from so many pe- young people about the benefits of using the Young Scott National Entitlement Card to make free journeys is uplifting, and I hope this new campaign will continue to encourage more under 22s to sign up. And that piece was by Abby Garton Crosby. Reported from the National on the 20th of September 2022. From the Culture section, recorded by Amy. Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield break silence over Q- Queen Q Jumping Row by Kieran Doody. ITV This Morning presenters Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby have broken their silence following backlash for queue jumping to see the Queen's lying in state. It comes amid a petition calling on this morning bosses to sack Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield after fury over the presenter's queue jumping. On Monday, this morning bosses were reportedly in crisis talks over whether they should scrap a segment covering the Queen's lying in state. But on Tuesday morning's instalment of the show, this segment went ahead and Holly Willoughby addressed the anger, admitting they totally understand. During the segment, looking back over the period of national mourning, 
Holly said, like hundreds of accredited journalists, we were given permission to access the hall. The rules that we were we would be quickly escorted to an entrance and not file past the coffin. None of the broadcasters and journalists took anyone's place in the queue. We, of course, respected their views. Please know that we would never jump a queue. The This Morning presenters have received criticism from some on social media after they appeared inside Westminster Hall on Friday without having taken part in the public queue. ITV bosses have said in a statement on Instagram that their hosting duo had attended to film a segment due to air on during Tuesday's show. They said, hello everyone, we would like to clarify something. We asked Philip and Holly to be part of a film for this Tuesday's programme. They did not jump the queue, have VIP access or file past the Queen's lying in state. But instead, they were there in a professional capacity as part of the world's media to report on the event. The article was by Kieran Doody. Recorded from the National on the 20th of September 2022. From the Culture section, recorded by Amy. Pro-ES Edinburgh musical duo are heading to the Prague Fringe by Laura Pollock. Edinburgh-based singer-songwriters Kevin Gore and Bobby Nicholson will be performing their show Gone Edinburgh in the Czech capital late September. They have hosted the show for several years as part of the Edinburgh Fringe, with performances taking place nightly in the basement of the Royal Oak Pub in the capital's Infirmary Street and regularly attracting sold-out attendances. Their show is a musical production featuring songs based on social justice, politics and history, both ancient and modern, relating to Scotland with a particular emphasis on the nation's quest for independence. The pair performed in Prague in 2019 in a sold-out run. It was originally a Czech tourist attending the Edinburgh show at the 2019 Fridge who suggested that this duo should apply to perform at the Prague Festival and after sending off samples of their work to the organiser, they were delighted to receive an invite to the event this year, that year and this. Gore's anthemic Independence Day and the dark humour of Nicholson's post-referendum rant aimed at the spineless 55 and Dear Scotland, It Was Nae Me, have been inspired by campaigning for independence. We're really excited about taking the show to Prague once again, said Gore, who performs regularly at independence rallies held both in Scotland and abroad. He added, the duo see this as an opportunity to promote their unique material, but also their passion for Scottish independence to a wider audience. We're hoping to once again establish a good rapport with the Czech people, as we are aware that they've had their own struggle for independence at a time of the Velvet Revolution back in 1989, so I'm sure we'll be meeting a few kindred spirits when we're there. In addition, there's a reasonably sized expat population in Prague, and as it's an English-speaking festival, we're expecting a few British, hopefully Scottish, nationals to come along and see us. Gore and Nicholson fly out to Prague later this month and will be performing Gone Edinburgh on six successive nights in the city's Café Club Misenka. Tickets can be found here. That article was by Laura Pollock. The National News on Wednesday the 21st of September. Alcohol's link to cancer highlighted in updated guidance for healthcare workers. An article written by Gregor Young. The link between alcohol and cancer has been highlighted in updated guidance for healthcare professionals in Scotland. The guide, published by Scottish Health Action on Alcohol Problems, or SHAAP, notes that drinking alcohol is a risk factor for several cancers. 
around 6.5% of deaths in Scotland in 2015, the last time the figures were calculated, were attributable to alcohol consumption and more than 28% of these deaths were due to cancer, the guidance states. It suggests healthcare professionals can help to reduce alcohol-related cancer risks by informing patients about them and providing guidance and support to help people reduce how much they drink. SHAAP Chairman Dr Alistair McGilchrist said there's clear evidence that alcohol increases the risk of developing a multitude of cancer types. Alcohol harm is one of Scotland's biggest health issues and healthcare professionals have an opportunity to inform their patients about the risks between alcohol and cancer and thereby reduce the risk that those patients will develop alcohol-related cancers and other alcohol harms. This updated guidance provides healthcare professionals with a summary of the relationship between alcohol and cancer, sets out the patterns of alcohol use and harms in Scotland by age, gender and socio-economic status, and outlines the different avenues for treatment and prevention of harmful alcohol use. SHAAP is a partnership of the Medical Royal Colleges in Scotland and the Faculty of Public Health, and is based at the Royal College of Physicians in Edinburgh. An article written by Gregor Young. The National News on Wednesday, the 21st of September. Report reveals Scottish second home hotspots. An article written by Judith Duffy. The areas of Scotland with the highest proportions of second homes have been revealed in a new report, which shows major hotspots in rural communities. Overall, just 1% of all homes in Scotland are not the owner's main residence adding up to 23,890 across the country. But there are wide variations across council areas, according to a briefing from the Scottish Parliament Information Centre. The areas with the highest proportion are Argyll and Butte and Western Isles Council, where one in every 20 properties, or 6%, is classed as a second home. This is followed by Orkney Islands Council at 4% and Highland Council at 3%. But the report also notes there are certain communities which have much higher concentrations, such as Arran, where around 25% of privately owned homes are second homes. In parts of Badenoch and Strathspey and Deeside, the proportion of second homes exceeds 20%, it said. Local authorities can apply a council tax discount of between 10% and 50% on second homes, and since 2017, councils have also been able to apply no discount. For 2022-2023, 25 out of Scotland's 32 councils have removed the council tax discount, while six have retained a 10% discount and one has a variable policy, the report said. This contrasts to Wales, where councils can charge an additional amount of council tax up to 100% of the normal council tax rate on second homes, which will rise to a maximum of 300% from April next year. In England, there are also plans to allow councils to charge extra council tax of up to 100% on second homes, but to implement such a policy in Scotland would need a change in legislation. The report noted there are concerns that a high concentration of second homes can increase house prices, reducing housing supply for local people. A lack of affordable housing can also affect local businesses seeking to attract workers to the area. If second homes are left empty for most of the time, there could be a negative impact on the cohesion and sustainability of local communities. 
But it added, on the other hand, there may be benefits from second homes. Second homeowners tend to be wealthier than those that don't own second homes, and if they regularly spend money in the local area, this may benefit local businesses. Second homes used as holiday lets can also be crucial to support local tourist economies. The report noted there are a range of policy measures to address the issue of second homes in Scotland, and the Scottish Government has pledged to give local authorities powers to manage numbers in its long-term housing strategy, but warned tensions remain. The Scottish Government is also reviewing the role of taxation in supporting its vision for both new and existing homes and communities, it said. Although there's work underway, it's not yet clear what specific proposals might come from the Scottish Government. A statement from the Arran Development Trust, a community organisation working to address housing issues on the island, said Lack of affordable housing has been the major contributing factor to depopulation and reduced growth on Arran going back many years. And the crisis is deepening. Public services, the year-round quality tourism product and economic community sustainability on Arran are now under threat due to a shortage of workers driven by the housing crisis. The Scottish Island Plan advocates that islanders should have the same opportunities as people on the Scottish mainland. However, only 11% of Arran's housing stock is available for affordable rent, compared to 24% in the rest of Scotland. Rents on Arran are also considerably more expensive than mainland North Ayrshire, and with an average price of £273,000, Arran properties are twice the average price of mainland North Ayrshire, and well above the Scottish average of £205,000. The fact that 25% of Arran properties are empty, second homes or buy-to-let properties, creates a further shortage of housing for local residents and inflates prices. An article written by Judith Duffy. The National News on Wednesday the 21st of September. Cannabis-based medicine among drugs approved for use in NHS in Scotland. An article written by Gregor Young. A cannabis-based medicine for multiple sclerosis patients has been accepted for use on the NHS in Scotland. Drugs for cancer patients and adult kidney transplant patients are also among those for which the Scottish Medicines Consortium issued advice in its latest round of decisions. Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol and cannabidiol, known as Sativex, has been accepted as a treatment to improve symptoms in some adults with muscle stiffness and spasms due to multiple sclerosis. The committee heard from multiple sclerosis patient groups about the debilitating effect muscle spasms can have on their day-to-day lives, impairing mobility, increasing the risk of falls, affecting their ability to look after themselves and aggravating fatigue and depression. Sativex is an oral spray treatment taken in combination with a patient's current treatment. The consortium chairman, Mark McGregor, said, We heard powerful testimony from multiple sclerosis groups of the devastating effects of spasticity on patients with multiple sclerosis. Delta-9, tetrahydrocannabinol and cannabidiol will provide a treatment option to improve quality of life for patients where other treatments are not working well enough. Mona Simpkins, director of the MS Society Scotland, said MS is relentless, painful and disabling. Sativex has been proven to relieve muscle spasms and their associated pain, leading to increased mobility, better sleep patterns and an improved quality of life for the person living with MS and their family and loved ones. 
We will continue to work with the Scottish Medicines Consortium, NHS Scotland, individual health boards and neurologists to ensure Sativex quickly becomes available to everyone throughout Scotland whose life could be significantly improved by taking it. The Scottish Medicines Consortium has also accepted nivolumab, given in combination with chemotherapy, as a treatment for some adults with gastroesophageal junction cancer, the area where the food pipe joins the stomach. Apalutamide has been accepted as a treatment for patients with prostate cancer that has spread to other parts of the body. Given in combination with androgen deprivation therapy, it can slow disease progression and increase survival. The committee also accepted imlifidase, a treatment for highly sensitised adult kidney transplant patients to improve their chances of avoiding organ rejection after transplants. An article written by Gregor Young. The National News on Wednesday the 21st of September. £40 million wind farm is given the go-ahead. An article written by Gregor Young. A significant new onshore wind farm development that will provide clean electricity to meet the needs of around 21,000 homes each year has been given the green light. South Lanarkshire Council has approved Banks Renewables' planning application to build what the company says are some of the UK's most effective onshore wind turbines at Millrig Wind Farm near Darvel in East Ayrshire. The development is on course to become operational within three years. Straddling the South Lanarkshire and East Ayrshire border, Millrig will include six powerful wind turbines with an installed generation capacity of around 36 megawatts, enough to meet the electricity needs of all the households in a town around the size of East Kilbride. In addition to the generation of vital clean green electricity, Banks Renewables' new £40 million project will displace over 18,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide annually from the UK's electricity supply grid, the equivalent of removing almost 7,000 petrol cars from the road. Robin Winstanley, Sustainability and External Affairs Manager at Banks Renewables, said To gain planning permission is a major milestone for Mill Rig. The development will bring many social, environmental and community benefits to the local area, and we're delighted South Lanarkshire Council has approved these exciting plans. The Hamilton-based renewables company says it's consulted with the community throughout the planning process and will set up a local community fund which is expected to create up to £180,000 of revenue annually, translating into £5.4 million over the expected 30-year lifetime of the project. The economy in the local area will benefit from local contracts worth £11.7 million during construction, with business rates of £18 million expected to be injected into public coffers, in addition to supporting many jobs over the lifetime of the development. Mr Winstanley added, By working closely with the surrounding community, this project will help Scotland generate much-needed clean green electricity, as well as providing local people and groups with funding to support the growth of important initiatives that benefit the communities close to Millrig Wind Farm. With the next steps of detailed design and construction, Millrig Wind Farm is on track to help Scotland achieve its ambitious net-zero targets, bolstering the UK's energy security by producing green electricity by 2025. Banks Renewables secured approval for the Lethens Wind Farm near Newcomnock, East Ayrshire, in 2020, and the grid connection of the Kype Muir Wind Farm south of Straven, South Lanarkshire, three years earlier. 
Millrig will become Banks's fourth operational Scottish development once construction is complete. An article written by Gregor Young. The National. On Wednesday, the 21st of September. Opinion. No minor royal, but Truss is definitely a minor politician. A column written by Tasmina Ahmed Sheikh. After the impressive ceremony of the Queen's State funeral, it's back to politics and economics with a bang for the officers on deck of the sinking ship Britannia. And that hard reality reveals the UK as being all pomp with precious little circumstance. The new Truss administration has promised a blizzard of policy announcements to demonstrate activity. In fact, all this will demonstrate is that the art of the cliché is still practised in the Downing Street press operation. Next thing you know, they'll be announcing a bonfire of the Quangos. At Westminster Abbey, Liz Truss was mistaken by Australian television for a minor royal. As she flies into the General Assembly of the United Nations, she best aware being correctly identified as a minor politician, leading a failing country whose economic prospects are plummeting as fast as the plunging currency. Miss Truss's candid confession on the way to the plane that talks on a free trade deal with the United States would not even start in the short to medium term is an admission of devastating incompetence, a continuation of the titanic success of Brexit as forecast by her predecessor. Any incoming Prime Minister faced with such post-Brexit negligence would immediately expunge from her administration the previous international trade and foreign secretaries who had allowed this hiatus to develop. The problem for Liz Truss is that she herself was the occupant of both offices as the Brexit promise of a mega-transatlantic trade deal crumbled into the dust. It's been clear for some time that the United States deal was on the back burner, or at the back of the queue, as Barack Obama famously said. It's been equally clear that the prospect once floated by the Johnson government that the UK might instead apply to join the US-Mexico-Canada agreement was also wishful thinking, masquerading as a policy. Indeed, that suggestion was unceremoniously buried almost as soon as the Daily Express breathlessly announced it exactly one year ago claiming the multi-billion pound trade tie-up would be a huge boost to Britain's economy as it bounces back from the pandemic. In the cold reality of the dawn's early light, none of this amounts to a hill of beans. The UK already has a serviceable trade deal with Canada inherited from the EU. Meanwhile, Mexico is the world's 16th biggest economy, but ranks a mere 42nd in the UK's trading partners. Talks on a new trade deal were launched this summer by the then Trade Secretary, Anne-Marie Trevelyan, who has since been moved to transport. A successful trade bilateral might lead to the refreshing sight of Mexico's redoubtable president, Andrés Manuel López Obrador, delivering another much-needed lecture to the UK on respect for Scotland's democracy, but will not transform the depressing position of the UK's trade balance. Even if the US itself was willing to embark on the big talks, a free trade deal with Washington would add much less than half of 1% to the UK gross domestic product. The Johnson administration lost more than that from UK output in the single month of June this year. In addition, it would be hugely problematic, with widespread fears of predatory US companies turning their greedy, beady eyes on what's left of the National Health Service, to say nothing of enough hormones in beef to ensure every one of us would fail an Olympics drug test. 
Agricultural trade is the number one headache at the International Trade Organization right now, and there's little appetite internationally for yet further complications. The real significance of the abject Tory failure on US trade is not economic but political. The UK is at the back of the queue because it simply does not matter. The Biden administration has a host of other more pressing economic questions and in any case is in no mood to do the UK any favours and showing any urgency on a trade deal would require exactly that. Miss Truss has been as blinkered as Mr Johnson in seeking to unravel the Northern Ireland Protocol negotiated by Lord Frost, the latest darling of the Tory grassroots bigots, but a man whose sense of his own destiny stands in inverse proportion to his negotiating ability. Joe Biden is widely mocked. He dodged the bus trip to the Queen's funeral, but then ended up 14 rows back to be lampooned by his predecessor as being lost among the third world leaders. Mr Biden is big enough not to mind that unduly. However, the Irish in him does very much mind the UK's disgraceful treatment of the Irish Republic in the attempt to destroy a protocol which has brought about the best economic performance in Northern Ireland relative to the rest of the nations and regions of the UK since records began. And one, of course, which has majority support in the North as well as unanimous support in the South. If Liz Truss asks for trade deal directions in New York from the American president, she's likely to be told, if I were you, I wouldn't have started from here. A column written by Tasmina Ahmed Sheikh. The National News on Wednesday the 21st of September. Rail strikes to bring network to an effective standstill next month. An article written by Steph Braun. Railway workers are to resume strikes in long-running disputes over pay, jobs and conditions, threatening fresh travel chaos for passengers. Members of the drivers' union ASLEF at 12 companies will walk out on October the 1st and October the 5th, which will affect travel for delegates and visitors to and from the Conservative Party conference in Birmingham. The Rail Maritime and Transport Union, or RMT, said its members at Network Rail and 14 train operators will strike on October the 1st. The RMT said the October the 1st stoppage will bring the railway to an effective standstill, adding it had received no further offers from the rail industry to help come to a negotiated settlement. ASLEF warned it was in for the long haul, as the rail disputes remain deadlocked. ASLEF General Secretary Mick Whelan said... We would much rather not be in this position. We don't want to go on strike. Withdrawing your labour, although a fundamental human right, is always a last resort for this trade union, but the train companies have been determined to force our hand. They're telling train drivers to take a real terms pay cut, with inflation now running at 12.3% and set it's said to go higher, these companies are saying the drivers should be prepared to work just as hard for just as long, but for considerably less. The companies with whom we're in dispute have not offered us a penny. It's outrageous that they expect us to put up with a real-terms pay cut for a third year in a row. That's why we're going on strike, to persuade the companies to be sensible, to do the right thing and to come and negotiate properly with us. Not to run up and say, our hands are tied and the government will not allow us to offer you an increase. Train drivers kept Britain moving, key workers and goods around the country throughout the pandemic, and we deserve to be treated better than this. That's why we're calling on the companies, which are making big profits and paying their chief executives enormous salaries and bonuses, 
to make a pay offer to our members to keep up with the rise in the cost of living. RMT General Secretary Mick Lynch said transport workers are joining a wave of strike action on October 1st, sending a clear message to the government and employers that working people will not accept continued attacks on pay and working conditions at a time when big business profits are at an all-time high. The summer of solidarity we've seen will continue into the autumn and winter if employers and the government continue to refuse workers reasonable demands. We want a settlement to these disputes where our members and their families can get a square deal and will not rest until we get a satisfactory outcome. A rail delivery group spokesperson said these strikes will once again hugely inconvenience the very passengers the industry needs to support its recovery from the ongoing impact of the pandemic. They range from those left out of pocket because they can't get to work, to people missing vital appointments, and to thousands of London Marathon participants who, after months of training, will have their journeys to London disrupted at the weekend. The strikes are not in the long-term interests of rail workers or building a sustainable rail industry. We want to give our people a pay rise, but without the reforms we're proposing, we simply can't deliver pay increases. Revenue is still around 80% of pre-pandemic levels. No business can survive that scale of upheaval without implementing a change. The actions of union leaders have very real consequences. Every strike day takes more money out of their members' pockets. We want to see the industry and its people thrive. We're asking the union's leadership to do the right thing, call off these damaging strikes and work with us to make that happen. An article written by Steph Braun. The National Politics on Wednesday the 21st of September. Tory minister slated for funeral cost comments. An article written by Steph Braun. The pomp and displays of wealth following the Queen's death will feel a million miles away from the lives of most people grappling with the cost of living crisis, the Greens have said, while blasting a sweeping statement a top Tory minister made about the cost of the funeral. Culture Secretary Michelle Donnellan claimed on Sky News that taxpayers will argue the cost of the funeral was money well spent, despite not being able to say how much the state event had cost. But Green MSP Maggie Chapman rubbished the remark and insisted the UK government must now find the same determination to help struggling families through the cost-of-living crisis as it has in putting on Queen Elizabeth's funeral. Meanwhile, anti-monarchy pressure group Republic has said Ms Donnellan's comments are symptomatic of the unquestioning commentary the public has been subjected to since the Queen's passing on September the 8th. The funeral on Monday included a service at Westminster Abbey attended by around 2,000 people from across the world before a separate committal service was held at St George's Chapel in Windsor. Ms Chapman said, The pomp, pageantry and displays of wealth we've seen over the last 10 days will feel a million miles away from the lives of many people who are suffering as a result of the cost of living crisis that has been inflicted from Westminster. This is one of the wealthiest societies in the world, yet hundreds of thousands of people are being plunged into poverty by cuts, austerity and skyrocketing bills. There's nothing inevitable about inequality or poverty. It's the result of political choices made in a system that prioritises corporate profits over well-being and by successive UK governments that have known exactly what they are doing and the impact that they are having. 
If Downing Street can find millions of pounds to celebrate a life very well lived, then they must show the same determination to provide financial security and peace of mind for the millions of people who are being forced to choose between heating and eating. The Scottish Greens boycotted a parliamentary session of fawning tributes to the royal family yesterday. Co-leader Patrick Harvey told the New Monarch that life isn't rooted in status or title during a motion where party leaders paid tribute to the Queen in the Scottish Parliament last week. He said those who targeted him with vile abuse in the wake of his condolence message should grow up. When she was asked by Kay Burley how much the funeral had cost, Ms Donnellan said, We haven't got that total figure, but I think the taxpayer would argue that it was money well spent. I always think of our late monarch as the glue that brought society together and communities together, and in her final act that's exactly what she did, and it was remarkable to see that on the ground. Graham Smith, CEO of Republic, said there are questions to be answered on whether the royal family could have contributed to the funeral themselves, as he criticised the fawning in coverage of the event. He added, It's very difficult to say something is worth the money when you can't say how much it cost. It's symptomatic of the fawning and unquestioning commentary that's been going on for the last ten days. I mean, yes, it's a state funeral, but there are scales of costs and there are questions over where Charles could have afforded to pay for it himself. We're struggling to pay for our nurses and teachers, and we're throwing hundreds of millions, probably, at a funeral that he could have paid for himself. Broadcasters have demonstrated a complete lack of impartiality. During the coverage throughout the last ten days, they've continued to suggest the country is mourning, which is not the case, as most people have just been getting on with their lives. I'd also argue that in the queue and the crowd on Monday, these were not exceptional numbers of people, and they don't represent the majority of people in this country. An article written by Steph Braun. The National News, on Wednesday the 21st of September. Scotland's greenhouse gas emissions on downward trajectory, says SEPA. An article written by Abby Garton Crosby. Scotland's greenhouse gas emissions are maintaining a downward trajectory, with a 5% drop in the space of a year, official figures have shown. The Scottish Environment and Protection Agency, or SEPA, said the latest statistics follow a downward trend in emissions since 2007. However, they added that there's still a clear impact on Scotland industries in 2021 from the COVID-19 pandemic, with the economy not fully recovered. The Environment Agency also revealed it's investigating a major accidental release of fluorinate gases by Anglo Beef Processors, who has a site in Perth, which is said to be the second largest of its kind in the food and drink sector in Europe. It comes as Glasgow City, which is historically home to some of Scotland's most polluted streets due to traffic emissions, reported that their carbon dioxide emissions fell by 13% since 2020 and 50% since 2006. Meanwhile, SEPA said that around a third of sites which report emissions to the Scottish Pollutant Release Inventory annually noted a significant difference in their 2021 data compared to the previous year. The agency says this is in line with previous year's reporting, but added a caveat that the COVID-19 pandemic is still having an impact on the industries involved. The Scottish economy contracted by nearly 11% in 2020 when restrictions were in place and many sectors including construction, manufacturing and mining and quarrying industries are still recovering from the pause in activity. 
And while a number of sites told SEPA that production had increased during a downturn in 2020, other firms said that production had not returned to pre-pandemic levels in 2021. Joe Green, acting chief executive of SEPA, said Scotland has a clear vision to become a net-zero society with ambitious plans for a just transition. The latest data from SEPA continues to see greenhouse gases from Scottish industry continue the long-term downward trend. These official statistics chart the progress we've made as a nation, but they also reflect the realism of a modern Western European economy in transition. The data that the Scottish Pollutant Release Inventory holds is vital to helping us understand how changes are impacting on our environment, both directly and indirectly, ensuring Scotland can identify priority areas to reduce releases and track progress. As Scotland's environmental regulator, SEPA's firm focus remains on helping Scottish businesses innovate and continue to emerge stronger and more sustainably from the impacts on the pandemic. We've all got a role to play in tackling climate change and the continued reduction of greenhouse gas emissions from Scottish businesses is vital in helping our country reach net zero. In February 2022, SEPA identified a large accidental release of F-gases, powerful gases which contribute to climate change, from Anglo-beef processors at their site in Inveralmond near Perth. The accidental release from the meat producer's plant represents 87% of the total emissions of all hydrofluorocarbons from all sectors in Scotland in 2021. The fault was reportedly due to the site's refrigeration systems, which have now been replaced. SEPA is investigating and is yet to determine if any enforcement action will be put in place. In Glasgow, figures from the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy showed that the city's carbon dioxide emissions fell by 13% since the previous year, while gas emissions dropped by 6% and electricity emissions fell by 18% when compared to 2019. The Council calculated that without the pandemic impact, carbon dioxide emissions would only have reduced by around 7.6% from 2019, but say that regardless, they have met and exceeded their target to reduce emissions by 30% by 2020 from the baseline year of 2006. SNP councillor Angus Miller, the city's climate convener, said... While these emission reductions both citywide and for the Council are encouraging, there's no room for complacency. The climate emergency remains a very real and imminent threat, and we, the Council and city partners, will have to work harder and smarter to continue the downward trajectory and minimise the bounce back in carbon emissions following the pandemic. We're making progress towards Glasgow's ambition to be a net-zero carbon city by the end of this decade, but we know we need to do more. Our efforts to promote sustainable transport alternatives and increase natural carbon capture via tree planting, for example, will help change how Glasgow looks and feels as we move towards net zero. An article written by Abby Garten Crosby. The National Politics on Wednesday, the 21st of September. Scottish Tory staffer sacked before taking up role. An article written by Laura Webster and Ninian Wilson. A Tory staffer who was set to join Douglas Ross's new team has been sacked after claims he'd worked as a special adviser for Jim Murphy were rubbished by the former Scottish Labour leader. The now ousted Craig Patterson had been hired by the Tories to fill one of the roles left by the exodus of employees from Mr Ross's team. 
The initial hiring had sparked controversy, as according to a report in The Times, Mr Patterson had worked for Mr Murphy, and Mr Ross had described him in a note to Tory staff as having been a key part of Scottish Labour's operations. However, Mr Murphy took to Twitter yesterday writing, I've never knowingly met this guy, let alone employed him in any role, ever. A bizarre fantasy from the Scottish Tories. Following Mr Murphy's revelation, it emerged that the Tories had ditched Mr Patterson before he got a chance to take up his new role. A spokesperson for the Scottish Conservatives told us, we'll no longer be hiring this person after new information came to light. Meanwhile, Conservative MSP Stephen Kerr has won a major promotion as party leader Mr Ross carries out a reshuffle of his shadow cabinet. Mr Kerr, who has been a controversial figure since his election to Holyrood last year, will become Shadow Education Secretary following the resignation of Oliver Mundell. Alexander Burnett, who is reportedly one of the richest politicians in Holyrood, will take on the chief whip role, which Mr Kerr is vacating. Mr Kerr's new position will mean more media time and a brief to carry out. Mr Ross's party has been rocked by a number of changes in recent weeks, including the resignation of Dean Lockhart from the Parliament and several departures from the -the behind-the-scenes team. However, the Scottish Tory chief struck an optimistic tone as he announced the new positions for the pair. I'm delighted to appoint Stephen and Alexander to these new positions. I was naturally disappointed when Oliver stepped down from the Shadow Cabinet, but I know Stephen has the experience and drive to hit the ground running as the party's new Shadow Education Secretary and build on Oliver's fine work. As a former convener of the Parliament's Education Committee, he's already shown he's more than capable of holding the SNP to account over their failures within Scotland's education system. Alexander has already provided superb support to our WHIP's office and I know he will be a strong chief whip as he makes the step up from deputy. Mr Kerr said he is extremely pleased to build on Mr Mundell's work in the role. During their 15 years in charge, the SNP have repeatedly let down pupils, parents and teachers, despite Nicola Sturgeon's insistence that education was her top priority, he said. I'll ensure that they answer for the decline in Scotland's global reputation in education and their failure to close the attainment gap. An article written by Laura Webster and Ninian Wilson. Recorded from the National on the 21st of September 2022. From the Culture section, recorded by Amy. Sons of astronaut Neil Armstrong visit borders to explore Scottish roots. By Paul Kelly, local democracy reporter. This sons of Neil Armstrong, the first man to step foot on the moon, landed in the Scottish borders recently to retrace their father's roots. Mark Armstrong, 59, and Rick, 65, together with their extended family, visited the Johnny Armstrong Gallery and Borderlands Museum at Tevet Head near Harwick. It came 50 years after their dad had paid a poignant visit to southern Scotland after retracing his roots to Langholm in Dumfries and Galloway, where he made the town's first freeman in March 1972. On the visit to the TV Head Museum, they were greeted with a rendition of the song Johnny Armstrong played on the border pipes by Matt Seattle. This song commemorates folk hero and border raider Armstrong, who was captured and hanged on the order of King James V in 1530. Seattle said, I was surprised and honoured to be asked to play for Neil Armstrong's sons. It was clear that returning to Scotland meant a great deal to his family. 
The Armstrongs were also shown the breastplate and helmet of their 16th century namesake, which is true to go on display at the Borderlands Museum based at the gallery. Venue owner Ken Moffat said, Neil Armstrong originally visited the museum in the late 1980s, so it was a pleasure for his sons and grandchildren to visit and preview the new museum. They have thoroughly enjoyed their visit and are already making plans to return. They have a huge affection for the area and which is reciprocated by the people living here. When visiting Langholm, Armstrong's son signed the Book of Condolence in remembrance of the Queen. The pair said their father had fond memories of the late monarch after he met her at Buckingham Palace in 1969, just three months after making that historic small step off Apollo 11 into the lunar surface. That article was by Paul Kelly, local democracy reporter. Recorded from the National on the 21st of September 2022. From the Culture section, recorded by Amy. Dundee's graduate's work on gender-based violence commended at award ceremony by Adam Robertson. Coursework by University of Dundee graduate has been named among the world's best at a major award ceremony. Fine art graduate Dana Leslie, 24, has been named a global winner in the Global Undergraduate Awards 2022, the world's largest academic awards programme that recognised the best works by artists. Leslie's work was named overall winner in the visual arts category for her work titled Hope as a Form of Planning, which highlights the problem of gender-based violence and encourages interaction with the sharing, documenting and battling of gendered experiences. She said, I was really surprised to hear I had been named a global winner. It's a nice reminder of how much work I put into my honours project. The UN declares that gender-based violence, GBV, is the most widespread, devastating and persistent human rights violations in our world today, and it is commonly agreed that the most effective forms of prevention for GBV are educating society and raising awareness. Considering how we can nurture compassion through art, my work intertwines the personal and the impersonal, calling for a better, more informed society beyond inequality and patriarchal power. Having this work recognised as being important in its field encourages me to keep using the art's different mediums and platforms to reveal current inequalities and strive for social and political change. The winning submission included artwork she prepared for her Duncan of Jordanston College of Art and Design degree show, DGCAD. The artworks are an extension of a website Leslie launched last year which invited women to anonymously submit locations where they've experienced a form of gender-based violence, creating a living archive of individual experiences. Dean of DGCAD professor Anita Taylor added, Dana was an exceptional student whose final degree show addressed critical issues in an eloquent and powerful way. We look forward to seeing how Dana's professional journey develops as she realises her ambitions to create art that has capacity to provoke compassion, document the overlooked and to have tremendous social impact. Each year, thousands of students around the world submit their projects to the Global Undergraduate Awards with submissions reviewed by hundreds of judges. A further three Dundee representatives were recognised at the awards. Graduate Nicole Cotihino, 24, and current student Astriti Bantwani, 22, were named European Regional Winners in Psychology and Medical Sciences, respectively, while graduate Dana Chung, was highly commended in the life sciences category. That article was by Adam Robertson. From the National, 
Thursday the 22nd of September 2022. From the news section, Family firms spend £1 million to help workforce navigate cost of living crisis by journalist Gregor Young. A Scottish family firm is spending more than £1 million to help its entire workforce cope with the cost of living crisis. Allied Regals Group, based in Postle Park in North Glasgow, is giving each of its almost 600 staff and members a pay rise, a gesture that would cost the firm £1.25 million. Pay will rise on a scale, meaning those who have lower pay will receive more than those who are higher paid. Managing Director Peter Fasena said the move was a major investment in the company's staff after the pandemic, Brexit, the war in Ukraine and the resulting rampant inflation. He said, This is a massive vote of confidence in all our staff who have shown tremendous mettle through the difficulties of the past couple of years. The triple whammy of Brexit, COVID-19 and the war in Ukraine was bad enough, but the knock-on effect, including a shortage of new vehicles, rising energy costs and rampant double-digit inflation have hit everyone really hard. We were unable to source all the vehicles we needed to produce our specialised wheelchair accessible models and we were losing money at the start of our financial year because of the shortage. Our people stayed with us throughout, but, like everyone else, they and their families were suffering through the rising energy costs and overall inflation. Every employee will receive a pay rise this month, with the lowest paid seeing an increase of 10% and the higher paid staff 5%. Around two-thirds of the workforce will be giving a minimum increase of 7.69% and 43% of the workforce will see a rise of between 9% and 10%. Vasena continued, We have managed to source some vehicles to get our vehicle manufacturing going again, so we decided we had to do something to help our loyal workforce. We came up with a sliding scale weighted towards lower paid staff to ensure that everyone gets a rise. Every single person will receive a pay increase this month. The pay rise isn't simply a one-off. It's an ongoing commitment from the company that will impact on our wage bill going forward, but if we can help our people, we feel it's well worth it. And that was a piece by Gregor Young. And that was this week's The National Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.